Chapter 111 of Varney the Vampire, Volume 2. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Nicole Carl, St. Louis, Missouri, November 2008. Varney the Vampire, Volume 2, by Thomas Prescott Prest. Chapter 111. The Wedding Day Fixed and the guests invited. When she was to receive so handsome a reward for the intelligence that she had wrung a reluctant consent from Helen to be the Baron's bride, it was not likely that Mrs. Williams would let a long time lapse before she communicated that fact to him, and accordingly she started to do so personally. It would appear that the Baron fully expected her, for he made no remark at all expressive of surprise, but received her with that courtly grace which Mrs. Williams attributed to his intercourse with the highest and the noblest. He did not seem so impatient as any one would have supposed a very ardent lover would have been, and before he would allow Mrs. Williams at all to enter into the object of her visit, he requested her to be seated, and would insist upon placing before her some of the very choicest refreshment. Indeed, as often as she then attempted to enter into the subject matter which had brought her there, he interrupted her with some remark of a different nature, so that she found it very difficult to say anything regarding it. At length, however, when he had satisfied the claims of hospitality, he said, "'I presume that I have the pleasure of listening to something particularly pleasant and delightful to me, inasmuch as it will convey to me the realization of my dearest hopes.' "'Why, my Lord Baron, I must confess,' said Mrs. Williams, "'that notwithstanding the extremely liberal office of Admiral Green—' "'Admiral Green, madam, this is the first moment I have heard of such a personage.' "'No doubt, no doubt. But for all that, since we have had the honour of your offer for the hand of Helen, Admiral Green has made one, and such a liberal one that it's quite distressing to refuse him.' "'Then allow me to say, madam, that I hope you won't distress yourself about it, "'but accept of Admiral Green at once. "'I shall be very sorry indeed to stand in the way of any advantageous arrangement, "'and therefore I beg you will close with Admiral Green.' "'The adage about coming to the ground between two stools "'forcibly presented itself to the memory of Mrs. Williams, "'and she replied in a great hurry, "'Oh, no, Baron, certainly not, certainly not. "'I have refused the Admiral on your account.' I told him most distinctly that I could not think of entertaining his offer for a moment, and I refused him at once. Then why trouble me about him, madam? Oh, I thought I would only merely mention it, because the Admiral said he would have great pleasure, which, of course, was a very liberal thing of him, in handing me a cheque for two thousand pounds. Oh, now I understand said the baron. I give you credit, madam, for having a good reason for making this report to me. You think that I may be induced to emulate the munificence of Admiral Green, but when I assure you that I have not the remotest intention of doing so, probably you will think that it would have been just as well if the matter had never been mentioned. The baron was right, for Mrs. Williams did think so and she felt all that bitterness of disappointment which wonderfully clever people do feel when they find that some pet scheme has most signally failed, leaving behind it all the consequences of a failure, and, whatever people may say to the contrary, failures do always have bad consequences, and never leave the circumstances exactly what they were. 
There was rather an awkward pause of some moments' duration, and then Mrs. Williams thought she would get over the baron completely, for she put on the most amiable smile she could and said, "'My dear baron, I'm sure we shall all be the most happy and united family that can possibly be imagined, and it is the greatest pleasure for me to be able to give you the intelligence that my daughter has consented to become yours.' "'Madam, I am much obliged.' And although Admiral Green did say that if I were to bring him similar intelligence, he would there and then, on the spot without further delay, hand me two thousand pounds, I said to him, Admiral Green, I am only to get five hundred pounds from the Baron Stuhlmoyer of Salzburg, and that five hundred pounds he has likewise promised to pay me down. Down, you understand, Baron? Madam, I am not deaf, but you understand down? Oh, I begin to see. You want the money. Well, could you not say so at once? It's of no use hinting things to me, but if you had said to me at once, Baron, I have brought you the consent to the marriage, and now I expect at once the five hundred pounds that I am to receive for doing so, I would have understood you, and said at once, Oh, certainly, madam, here is the money, as I do now. You will find that check drawn for the amount. What a charming thing it is! said Mrs. Williams. What a charming thing it is to do business in such a real business sort of way. But there are so few people, Baron, with your habits, and upon whom one can so thoroughly depend as one can upon you. Madam, you do me too much honour. Of course, having promised you this insignificant sum of money, it was not likely that I should but keep my word. And now let me ask, when is to be the happy day? "'If this day week will suit you, Baron.' "'Wonderfully well, madam, wonderfully well.' "'Then we will consider that as settled. "'I suppose you will have a public marriage?' "'No, no, strictly private. "'I am resolved, madam, not to have more than one hundred and fifty people, "'and to keep the expenses within a thousand pounds. "'So you see I am going to do it in the plainest possible manner, "'and make no fuss at all about it.' "'Gracious province!' thought Mrs. Williams. What would he call a public marriage if he considers a thousand pounds expense, one hundred and fifty guests, a private one, and making no fuss about it? On one of my former marriages, said the baron, with an air of abstraction. One of them, said Mrs. Williams. May I presume to ask how often you have been married, my lord? Oh, certainly. Let me see. I think eleven times. Eleven? And pray, sir, what became of your wives? Why, really, madam, I cannot say. I hope the majority of them went to heaven, but there were one or two I most heartily wished at the other place. My gracious, thought Mrs. Williams, he is quite a bluebeard, but, however, things have gone too far now, and I am not going to give up my check if he had twenty wives, and, after all, it shows he must be a man of great experience, and of great wealth, too, or so many women would not have had him. But if that little fact about all his wives should come to the ears of Helen, I am really afraid she wouldn't have him. So I must caution him about it. My Lord Baron. Yes, madam. I think between you and I, my Lord Baron, that it would be quite as well to say nothing to my daughter about her being the twelfth wife. But just let her quietly think she is the first. Because, you know, my lord, young people have prejudices upon these subjects, and she might not exactly like the idea. Oh, certainly, madam, I shall not mention the little affairs that have preceded hers. 
I assure you I am quite aware that it is likely there should be a prejudice against a man who has had eleven wives, and people will think he smothered a few of them. Good gracious, said Mrs. Williams. You don't mean that, my lord baron. I hope that nobody ever accused you of such a thing. Nay, said the baron. How are the best of us to escape censure? You know as well as I, Mrs. Williams, what a bad world it is we live in, and how dreadfully selfish people are. Yes, said Mrs. Williams, that's remarkably true. But it ain't often, my lord baron, that one man has eleven wives. No, and it ain't often that such a man would exactly like to venture upon a twelfth. Well, no, there is something in that. But I will now, my lord, take my leave, entertaining no doubt whatever, but that this will be an extremely happy marriage, and in every respect just what we might all of us desire. Mrs. Williams left the baron with these words, but to say that she believed them would be to make by far too powerful an experiment upon the credulity of our readers. When he was alone, the baron smiled a strange and ghastly smile. That woman, he said, is so fond of gold that she sells her child without hesitation to me. If upon hearing of my pretended marriages she gave me back my money, I should have thought some good of her. But no, that she could not do. Money is her idol, and when once in her possession she could not dream of parting with it. But what is that to me? Have I not made up my mind to this affair? Let the consequences be what they may. Have I not resolved upon it in every possible shape? Henceforward I will cast aside all feelings of regret, and live for myself alone. For what have I now to hope, and what have I now to fear from mankind? Hope? Did I say I had nothing to hope? I was wrong. I have something to hope, and it is a something I will have. It is revenge. Yes, it is revenge, revenge, which I must and will have against society. That has made me what I am, and the time shall yet come when my name will be a greater terror than it is, and that to someone needless, for it is such a terror already, but to mention it would cause a commotion of frightful inquietude. He looked from one of the windows of his home, and he saw Mrs. Williams, as she proceeded down one of the garden walks, take his check out from her reticule, where she had placed it, and looked at it attentively. Ah, he said, now she is worshipping her divinity, gold. She knows that that price of paper carries weight with it, and that, flimsy as it looks, it is sufficient to purchase her. Fool, fool and she thinks she is by contentment. End of chapter 111